Hello, friends, and welcome to The Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome crimes that humans have ever committed. My name is Em, and as always, I am your one and only host. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking, Em, what is going on with this episode? Why is there no introduction at the beginning why just straight into the intro music and I would like to come up with an excuse that you know I had some sort of technical difficulty or you know I just couldn't come up with a with a intro that I thought was fitting to the case but if I'm being quite honest with you it is purely the fact that I had been doing all of the research for this case I had everything finished I had realized that I had yet to write an intro and I decided that I just did not want to do it <laughs> so the lack of an introduction on this case is purely purely my own severe laziness I know it has been quite a while since I have put out an episode for you all and I do apologize for that you know adult life and my regular day job just tends to get in the way um but I have quite the case for you guys today and I hope that that makes up for all of the time that I have been away um I feel like this is a case that a lot of you may be familiar with if you are in the true crime world um Netflix did a three-part documentary on this case so I feel like it may be one that you all are very familiar with um but it was a case that really it really kind of affected me in the fact that I couldn't stop thinking about it for days after I had I had heard about it. Um, the net the Netflix documentary that covers the case it's called "Don't Fuck with Cats," um, which is a really kind of interesting title I feel like for a true crime documentary case because ultimately like somebody did lose their life, but Netflix decides to take the title and name it after um the i guess animal cruelty crimes that the the perpetrator committed instead of like the actual murder of a human being but you know humans are kind of fucked up that way that we tend to pay more attention to cases and instances that happen when animals are harmed versus when humans are harmed which it's like i don't know like that's such interesting like i guess psychology to think about that you know it's like it's like why there's a whole um does the dog die.com when you look up movies and you want to know does an animal die in this movie does a dog die in this movie because you're more concerned about whether or not an animal might be killed in a movie rather than whether a person is killed in a movie um so maybe that's the same kind of psychology that rolls around as to why netflix was framing their documentary around the fact that this person who committed this horrific crime against a person had also had a history of committing um crimes against animals or animal cruelty so they decided to frame the documentary from that lens versus what actually happened to this monster's human victim i think that as human beings we tend to see animals as very inherently innocent that they can do no wrong they just exist to be pure and to be 
to love human beings and we, we see human beings as, you know, you may be innocent and the fact that nobody deserves to have a sort of violence enacted upon them in the same way that, that the victim of this crime had it, it had it enacted on him, but humans are inherently flawed. We may not be as innocent as an animal, but I don't know. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go on a tangent, but it's an, it's an interesting thought, I think. But, um, Anyways, the documentary centering around this crime on Netflix is called Don't Fuck With Cats. I did watch it. Um, I tried to get my boyfriend to watch all three parts with me. I think he got through maybe one part and then he slept through the other two. So I watched this entire thing basically by myself. So, you know, shout out to my my boyfriend, to Lucas. Um he actually has a podcast himself with another friend of his, also ironically named Luke. So shout out to the boys of Luke Squared. Um, I need you all to go on their Instagram and tell them that you want me to be able to feature on their podcast. Because when I tell you, I have been asking to go on that podcast and just like tell them a story. Like it, it's legitimately not that serious. I just think it's kind of a funny thing to bring up. I have the perfect story in mind or the perfect case to tell them about that. I think they would both be fully entertained, but absolutely horrified by that. I've just been itching to tell them on their podcast. So, you know, go over there, tell, tell, tell them to give me a feature, you know, at Luke squared pod on Instagram, go say hi and go leave a comment or something and tell them to, to let me feature on their podcast. And maybe it'll go full circle while I will have them on an episode of this shit really happened and tell them another really wild true crime case that they can react to in real time. But anyways, let's get away from that. So I want to get into a little bit about the case that I have for you guys today. Like I said earlier, it was covered in a Netflix documentary called Don't Fuck With Cats. Um, this is the case of Luca Magnata and the murder of June Lin. So this is a case that involves a lot to do, not a lot to do, but specifically to do with um, cruelty to animals. There is um, a a multitude of descriptions, you know, again, graphic violence, um, cannibalism, necrophilia. So please trigger warning if those are any, if that sort of content is not what you choose to listen to, if that's not what you choose to engage with, then this is definitely not the podcast for you or the episode for you. Um, hopefully there'll be a, maybe a case in the future that I covered that is more akin to your tastes. But again, trigger warning for animal cruelty, for um, necrophilia, cannibalism, general murder, brutality to from one human being to another. So again, please, if this is something or this is the content that you feel like you cannot safely engage with, I ask that you skip this episode and maybe we'll see you again in the future. But if you are here for the ride, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this case. So the first thing I want to cover is um, a little bit about the killer at the center of this story. His name is Luca Magnata. Luca Magnata was actually born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman on July 24th, 1982 in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada, and he was the eldest of three children. He was the son of Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. 
And according to Magnata himself, his mother was obsessed with cleanliness and would routinely lock her children out of the house and once put her children's pet rabbits out in the cold to freeze to death. So clearly, Luca Magnata was not growing up in the most healthy of households. Um, his father was also diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1994, after which he divorced Magnata's mother, leaving Magnata to move in with his grandmother, Phyllis. So Phyllis would go on to raise Luca, be his really primary motherly figure from the time that he moved in with her in 1994. On August 12, 2006, he legally changed his name to Luca Rocco Magnata. So again, he was born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman. But again, on August 12, 2006, that is when he petitioned to actually legally change his name to Luca Rocco Magnata. Um, he actually had a lot of dreams of becoming an actor. He was like the majority of the population, I feel, that pursues this sort of career. He was unsuccessful in his attempts to break into mainstream TV and film. Um, in 2003, he actually began starring in pornographic movies. He also worked as a stripper and as an escort. So when mainstream media did not work for him, clearly he turned to other means. Um, and he again became a actor in, you know, porn videos. He was an escort. And that was how he wanted to try to make a name for himself and become famous was through these venues instead of the typical like mainstream quote-unquote Hollywood approach. He actually appeared as a pinup model in a 2005 issue of Toronto's Fab magazine and he used the pseudonym Jimmy in this article. In 2007, he was an unsuccessful competitor in OutTV's reality series Cover Guy. And he also had multiple cosmetic surgeries and auditioned for the Slice Network television show Plastic Makes Perfect in February of 2008. Uh, but I guess, you know, the uh, porn and working as an escort wasn't really raking in the money that Magnata had hoped it would. Because in 2003, he turned to committing fraud to try to get rich. He befriended a 21-year-old... 21-year-old disabled woman. She actually had the mental capacity of a child between 8 and 12 years old. Um, he went on to sexually assault her. He took photos during the sexual assault after the fact, and after the fact, he convinced her to apply for a credit card loan, and he racked up $10,000 of unpaid bills in this woman's name. Magnata was arrested for this crime in 2005, and he was put on trial for it. The sexual assault charges were dropped, but he was convicted on the charges of fraud. Magnata's lawyer presented evidence in Magnata's medical report to the court. This medical report explained that Magnata had, quote, significant citriac... Oh, gosh, wow, words... <laughs> Backup, rewind, Magnata had, quote, significant psychiatric issues. Wow. Do you ever just get, like, jumbled over a word and your brain just blanks out for a minute and you're like, that is 100% not the word that I meant to say? And your your mouth just blurts out the 
first thing your brain can think of as like relatively kind of the same word, but it's not the same word at all because that is what just happened with me there anyways. Um, so because of the significant psych treat, oh my God, I just did it again. I just did it again. Psychiatric issues. Because of the significant psychiatric issues Magnata had, the judge ended up letting him off pretty easy for this first offense. So he received a nine-month conditional sentence and 12 months probation. Honestly, this was really nothing more than a slap on the wrist. In March of 2007, also, Magnata filed for bankruptcy, and he declared over $17,000 in unpaid debts. So, Luca Magnata, the, the thing about him that, you know, besides the fact that he's a literal murderer, um, the other really main thing to consider with him is that he was a textbook narcissist he was obsessed with himself he thought that he was destined for fame he thought that he was destined to be one of the most well-known people in in Canada and the United States all over the world he genuinely thought that he was like one step away from absolute fame at any moment of his life so a lot of this self-obsession that he had with himself this really played into the entire perception he had of who he was and what his next steps in the world were supposed to be um I know one thing I can say for absolute certain about Luca Magnata is that he he was a complete and utter narcissist. He was obsessed with himself and with this delusion of fame and grandeur that he had. You know, he again, he was convinced that he was just destined to be famous. He also went as far as to create Dozens of Facebook pages dedicated to himself. Specifically, he had over 70 Facebook pages and 20 different websites bearing his name. And he controlled all of these. All of these were run specifically by him. He had this whole thing set up where he would kind of act like these fan pages or these Facebook pages were interacting with themselves and posting photos of him and commenting about him, you know, kind of like we see nowadays with like fan pages for famous actors or famous singers where they'll take photos or, you know, like paparazzi photos of the singer. They're like, oh my gosh, so-and-so was here this day or they did this this day. And it's like an active, genuine fan page following the activities of this person. But in Luca Magnata's case, he was the only one running these pages. So he would post photos of himself or he would post about what he was doing that day and kind of make it seem like it was somebody else posting about him, somebody else following him. But in reality, it was just him on over 70 Facebook pages, again, and 20 different websites bearing his name. He also started some really crazy rumors about himself that he hoped would garner him some sort of social fame or social notoriety. And the most infamous one that he ever started about himself on was back in 2007. 
So in 2007, a rumor began that Magnata had been linked romantically to Carla Homolka, who, if you don't know that name, she is one half of the Ken and Barbie killers. Um, A little bit about that case, if you've never heard about it, Carla Homolka and her then-husband, Paul Bernarder, raped and murdered four young girls, one of them being Carla's younger sister, and videotaped themselves doing it. Homolka had gone to the police after Paul Bernardo had beaten her with a flashlight during a domestic dispute, and she confessed all of their crimes. However, when she confessed, she made it seem like Bernardo had been the mastermind behind everything and that he had forced her to participate against her will. For her cooperation, Homolka received an extremely light sentence while Bernardo received life in prison. During the trial, however, it came to light that Homolka and Bernardo had videotaped their crimes, and tapes showed Homolka not only encouraging the rape of the girls, but actively participating as well. But there was nothing that the Canadian authorities could do because they had already made a plea deal with Carla Homolka in exchange for her testimony against Paul Bernardo. The media called this plea deal, quote, the deal with the devil, and Homolka is said to be one of the most hated, most despised women in all of Canada. So, to be linked to Carla Homolka would definitely create some buzz for Luca Magnata, though he denied it in an interview with the Toronto Sun, and he continues to deny to this day. But many believe that it was Luca Magnata himself who started the rumor that he had dated Carlo Homolka. So I wanted to get a little bit into the documentary Don't Fuck With Cats and a little bit about what the lead up to Luca Magnata's, I guess, main crime or most notorious crime was. So I did watch this entire documentary on Netflix when it came out, and to be quite honest with you, it was really tough to watch. But, you know, I am a true, I guess, lover of true crime. It is something I'm very interested in and something that I follow a lot. You know, when I'm looking at Netflix or I'm on Hulu, whatever it might be, one of the first categories that I look into is true crime. I want to see what's going on there. I want to see what's new. I want to see what's what's gritty, what's got everybody's attention, what's really polarizing. And so when Don't Fuck With Cats came out, this was one of the first documentaries that was on my radar that I really wanted to watch. Um, And it really, I mean, for all its faults, it did do quite a good job covering a lot of what had happened with this case, which is why I kind of wanted to delve into it, because it does give a lot of really great background as to what Luca Magnata was up to before he escalated his crime from animal cruelty into full-on murder. So again, before he escalated to a human victim, Luca Magnata started like many killers do, and that was with animal cruelty. In late December of 2009, a gruesome video began to circulate online. It depicted two kittens being put in a bag and the air being sucked out of it with a vacuum, killing them. In response to the video, a Facebook group called the, quote, Find the Vacuum Killer for Great Justice was formed to find the person behind the videos of those kittens being murdered. By January 2011, this group had gathered enough clues from the video, that of which had been named One Boy, Two Kittens, 
to identify Magnata as the one responsible for it. I think they had gone so in-depth with finding the clues from this video. I think they even like took a screenshot of a vacuum that was in one of the videos and traced the vacuum as to something that was only manufactured in North America with like a few thousand of the models, the majority of which being located in Canada. And then they also took some additional screenshots and had like matched it up to you know one of those pages that like Luca Magnata had been posting where he was kind of featuring um like in the same area it anyway I don't know the specifics honestly but it was it was crazy what some of these people in this Facebook group the kind of detective work they had done to get to the bottom of like who this person was posting all of these videos of you know these these innocent kittens being murdered um but uh they were able again to identify magnata as the one responsible for it because they were able to pull these clues from these videos and they they really, really tried to alert Toronto authorities to what was going on with these videos. Um, in February of 2011, Toronto police did begin investigating Luca Magnata in connection with the videos after they received a complaint from the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. The members of the Facebook group also hoped this would be enough to stop Magnata, but unfortunately, it only spurred him on to post two more videos depicting the killing of kittens. One of these depicted a kitten being attacked by a large snake, and the other showed a cat being taped to the end of a broomstick and drowned in a bathtub. Now, I just... It feels so weird to, to say that the video of the kitten being eaten by the snake or the cat being drowned taped to a broomstick affected me more than seeing the video of like an actual human being being murdered because of course me being me I am morbidly curious to a point where it's it's just detrimental to myself I did I I did spoiler alert there is a video of the actual murder of Jin Lin still on the internet um I I did go find it i i did go watch it um i feel i don't know how i feel about it i hate that i've seen it i hate that it's still on the internet but it was as brutal as it was it feels so weird to say that i had a more visceral response to the video of the cats being killed than I did to the video of an actual person being murdered and it's it's so crazy because I feel like it again goes back to that psychology of humans feeling like animals are just so inherently innocent so we feel it more when we see a video of an animal being killed than we do when we see a video of like a person being killed but I don't know it makes me feel like a bad person <laughs> you know maybe you guys who are listening to this can identify with me in a way where you know you're like you know what me too I also feel more pain when it's an innocent animal that is dying in a movie or on a video versus when I do when I see like a person in a horror movie die or like god forbid you see a video like this one where it's a person being killed and you're like you know that's horrible that's sad that is terrible that it happened to the person but the pit in your stomach feels heavier when it's 
an animal because they're just so inherently innocent. I don't know. It's weird. I wish I fully understood the psychology behind it, but I don't. All I can say is both videos were horrible. I wish that I had never seen either of them, to be quite frank. Um, but as I was saying, the members of the Facebook group hope that by alerting authorities, they'd be able to get the person who posted that first initial video of the kittens to just stop completely. They were hoping that the pressure from authorities would be enough to just get them to stop scare them into it you know they were hoping that it was nothing more than like some messed up kid in wherever he was just posting these videos to try to get some reaction on the internet and as soon as the actual authorities got involved they were hoping that again he would be he'd be scared and stopping but unfortunately that just wasn't the case um the members of this facebook group they were actually able to identify luca magnata as the person in the videos way earlier than the toronto police or any other authorities were able to so they gave the name luca magnata to the authorities um but the police never brought any charges against luca magnata for these acts of animal cruelty citing lack of evidence so for all of the investigation that this facebook group have done in all reality, it really wasn't much of anything. You know, they could say, well, we did this, we did this, we traced this, we traced that. But in the police's mind, that wasn't any actual concrete evidence, and they couldn't actually bring any charges against Luca Magnata. Um, based on his escalation, though, from the multitude of videos that he was continuing to post, the Facebook group did fear that Magnata would soon turn to human victims. They tried to warn the Toronto police, but again, those warnings went ignored. Unfortunately, the group's fears would be realized on May 25th, 2012, when an 11-minute video titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick was uploaded onto bestscore.com. So before we get into that video and what the content of that video was, I do want to take a minute to talk a little bit about the person who was the victim of this crime. His name was John Lin, and he was born on December 30th, 1978 in Wuhan, China. John Lin was an international student. He was studying engineering and computer science at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. He had been studying in Montreal since July of 2011, and he had been living in an apartment in the Griffintown neighborhood of Montreal that he moved into with their roommate on May 1st of 2012. A lot of John's friends were interviewed um, by police and as well as in the Don't Fuck With Cats documentary, and they just... They describe him so sweetly, and you can see the pain on their face when they're talking about him and what sort of amazing person he was, how kind he was, how selfless he was. You know, they describe him as a, a gentle man who was dedicated to his studies. He wanted nothing more than to succeed in his studies and be a productive member of society. He was kind and he was intelligent and he often helped other students in his same major with their own studies. He was genuinely such an open person and he just wanted to not only excel in his own studies, but he was so willing to help the people around him so they could succeed in the same way that he had succeeded. Um, 
So going from that, we will continue to talk about what happened to Jun Lin on the night of his murder. On the night of May 24, 2012, Jun Lin met up with Luca Magnata. Lin had responded to a Craigslist personal ad that Magnata had posted, searching for someone to make a, quote, fun movie with. Magnata and Lin met up at an apartment complex on Dekhai Boulevard. They were caught on surveillance cameras entering the building together. And this was actually the last time that Jun Lin was seen alive. It was reported by a friend of Lin's that he received a text from Lin's phone on May 24th at around 9 p.m. The next morning, Lin's boss became worried when he did not show up for a shift as a cashier at the local corner store. Lin's boss knew something was not right. Jun Lin was dependable, and he would not just miss a shift at work without telling his boss beforehand. On May 27th, Lin's friends went to his apartment to find it empty, with no sign of Jun Lin anywhere. Lin was reported missing on May 29th, 2012. Meanwhile, while Jun Lin's friends were searching desperately for him and reporting him missing to police, an 11-minute video was gaining attention after being posted on BestScore.com. The video was posted on May 25th and was titled, One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. The video depicted a man, naked and tied to a bed, being repeatedly stabbed with an ice pick and a kitchen knife before being dismembered. By the video's halfway point, the victim had been decapitated and the perpetrator had moved on to sawing through his arms and legs. The perpetrator also performed acts of necrophilia on the torso son's limbs and cut off pieces of flesh with a fork and knife. A small dog is also brought in and begins chewing on the body as well. In the background, the song True Faith by New Order was playing. And this is the song, fun fact that was playing during the opening of the movie American Psycho. And if you've seen that movie, you know exactly why this is relevant. And a Casablanca poster was hung on the wall above the bed. On May 26th, an attorney from Montana who had come across the video on Best Score had tried to report it to Toronto authorities, his local sheriff, and the FBI. Best Score viewers also attempted to report the video. At first, authorities did not believe that the video was legitimate, but their tune changed when the body parts began to show up around Ottawa and Montreal. That is right. You heard that right. Authorities didn't take anything seriously, and then body parts began to show up in the mail. So let's get into that a little bit. At 11 a.m. on May 29, 2012, a package containing a left foot was delivered to the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of Canada. The package was stained with blood, had a foul smell, and it was marked with a red heart symbol. Another package containing a left hand was intercepted in a Canada Post processing facility addressed to the Liberal Party. And later, a janitor also discovered a decomposing torso inside a suitcase left in a garbage pile by the alley behind the apartment building on Dekali Boulevard. With the torso in the suitcase, there were also numerous documents bearing Luca Magnata's name. 
Police were also able to locate surveillance videos from the apartment complex, which showed a suspect bringing numerous garbage bags outside, and the images matched a suspect who was captured on video at the post office from which the packages containing the human remains had been mailed from. By 11.33 p.m. that same day, police were inside the apartment rented by one Luca Magnata. While Magnata was not found there, the police found blood on different items within the apartment, including the mattress, the refrigerator, the table, and the bathtub. On May 30th, the body parts that had arrived at the headquarters of the conservative and liberal parties were identified as belonging to John Lynn, who was later identified as the same man in the One Lunatic, One Ice Pick video. Magnata was quickly named as the top suspect, but by the time the authorities had enough evidence to bring Magnata into custody, he had fled the country. This then led into a manhunt to locate and arrest Luca Magnata. An arrest warrant for Magnata was issued by the Service de Police de la Ville de Montreal, or SPVM, later upgraded to a Canada-wide warrant by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the RCMP, accusing him of the following crimes. The first was first-degree murder, the second, committing an indignity to a dead body, the third, publishing obscene material, the fourth, mailing obscene, indecent, immoral, or scurrilous material, and the fifth, criminally harassing Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and several members of Parliament. On May 31, 2012, Interpol issued a red notice for Magnata at the request of Canadian authorities, and for several days before and after his arrest, his name and photo were displayed prominently at the top of the homepage of the Interpol website. The red notice requested that Magnata be provisionally arrested pending extradition back to Canada by any Interpol member state. Magnata booked a ticket for a flight from Montreal to Paris, France on May 25th using a passport with his own name. After his arrival in France, his cell phone signal was traced to a hotel in Bagnolet, but he had left by the time police arrived. Pornographic magazines and an air sickness bag were found in the hotel room. Magnata used a false passport with the name Kirk Tremel at the hotel. He had contacts in Paris from a previous visit in 2010, and police were following a large-framed man who had been in contact with Magnata. Another man he stayed with for two nights did not realize who he was until he had left. So basically, Magnata at this point is kind of bouncing around all the contacts he has in Paris. He's trying to stay with whoever is willing to house him, um, but he's not entirely telling all of the secrets, all of the reasoning, or all the reasons where he was on, why he was on the run, basically. So he was staying with this people. He was like, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Don't ask me any questions. I don't want to ask questions. You don't ask questions. So a lot of these people are just keeping Magnata and not really questioning why he was there in the first place until, you know, the police came sniffing around and were asking about it after the fact. Um, after he had left um, Paris, he boarded a Eurolines bus at the Bagnolet coach station and he was bound for Berlin, Germany. On June 4th, 2012, Magnata was apprehended by Berlin police at an internet cafe in the Nuklin district while reading news stories about himself. 
So again, just really circling back to the fact that he was completely and utterly obsessed with himself. He was on the run from police and had taken the time to stop at an internet cafe, Google himself, and read articles about himself. And he was reading those articles when the police finally arrested him on June 4th, 2012. He did try giving some fake names before he actually admitted who he was when the police arrested him. Um, His identity eventually was confirmed through fingerprint evidence. Magnata appeared in a Berlin court on June 5th, 2012. According to German officials, he did not oppose his extradition. There was sufficient evidence to keep him in custody until extradition, and he agreed to a simplified process. So he basically did not fight extradition at all. I know he was caught. He was basically like, you know what? You got me. I will not fight with you taking me back or extraditing me back to Canada. So after Magnata was found, of course, he was extradited back to Canada so they could begin the trial process. Um, So Magnata elected to be tried by judge and jury. He pleaded not guilty, admitting to the acts of which he was accused, but claiming diminished responsibility due to mental disorders. Um, six tools, a pair of scissors, two knives, a screwdriver, and an oscillating saw and hammer were actually recovered outside of Magnata's apartment and analyzed by ballistics expert Gilbert Desjardins. He said none could be definitively linked to the killing and that no skeletal marks suggested the screwdriver or scissors were used, but some were consistent with the saw or knife or exacto blade injuries. So basically they found a slew of possible weapons that could have been used for the killing of Jun Lin or possibly additional murders that, you know, maybe the police had not investigated. They had not found a body. You know, they were thinking if a person was able to to commit this sort of brutal murder on their quote-unquote first go-around, was this actually their first go-around, or was there some sort of, was there additional victims or the people that they did not know about or anything like that? So they ran all of these potential weapons that they had found to see if any of them were in or used in the murder of Jun Lin, but again, they only found marks on the bones that were indicative of the saw or knife or some sort of exacto blade being used in the murder or the dismemberment of Jun Lin's body. Um, Magnata also told a psychiatrist or interviewed him about the night he killed Jun Lin that a person named Manny was there urging him to kill. It was then determined that this name and Magnata's Tremel alias were actually inspired by the Sharon Stone fictional character Catherine Tremel in the movie Basic Instinct, and that the character's fiance was named Manny Vasquez. Um, I did name this episode the Basic Instinct Killer because it was really, really strange. All of these coincidences that Luca Magnata and the murder of Jun Lin had with the Basic Instinct movie coming down to the song that was playing to the Casablanca poster that was hanging over the bed when the murder occurred to the weapon that Luca Magnata used. 
So much of that was incredibly similar to the movie Basic Instinct. It was almost like Luca Magnata was trying to insert himself into that movie and play out like he was Catherine Trammell. And it was this person, Manny, who was influencing him to do all these sorts of things. But it leads you to wonder... You know, what was going on in Luca Magnata's brain? Was he genuinely mentally unwell or was he just a abhorrent narcissist who thought that he wanted to take his completely unassuming normal life into some sort of infamous stardom by committing a murder in the same way that it happens in the movie Basic Instinct? Um, During the trial, Magnata actually chose not to testify on his behalf. He did not take the stand at all. But after eight days of deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty on all charges. Magnata was sentenced to a mandatory life sentence, and he will be eligible for parole after 25 years. He was also sentenced to 19 years for other charges to be served concurrently. So that is the story of the, as I call him, a basic instinct killer, Luca Magnata. I wanted to leave this off on a note about John Lynn as well, as I feel like a lot in times of these cases, we get a little bit lost in talking about the perpetrator, the murderer themselves, and we let the, the lives and the legacy of the victims fall to the wayside a little bit. Um, Jun Lin, he was the sort of person that all he wanted was to be a functioning person in society, I guess. He had come from China. He was really studying to make a better life for himself and make a better life for his parents, too, still back in China. He was selfless. He was kind. He took time out of his regular life to help other people in his same major that were struggling. He helped them study. He helped them prepare for tests. And he genuinely, as his friend said, all he wanted to do was be a functioning member of American society. He had so many goals for himself. He had so many dreams that he wanted to achieve. And his life was horrifically and sadly cut short by a monster who cared about nothing but himself and continues to care about nothing other than himself. You know, I dedicate this episode to Jun Lin and his memory and to Luca Magnata. You are a fucking piece of shit. I hope you rot in prison wherever you are with whatever poor sucker you just conned into marrying you because fun fact, Luca Magnata actually convinced another man in another prison they had been communicating by letter or something like that. Something so fucking arbitrary um to marry him you heard that right luca magnata somehow convinced another man in prison to marry him 
but whatever he's going to rot in prison forever and what i want to take away from this episode again is just the memory of jun lin and what a lovely heartening selfless kind of person he was whose life was horrifically cut short by a narcissistic piece of shit luca magnata so at the very end of the day fuck you luca magnata you suck Anyways, um, that is the story of the murder of Jun Lin, the story of Luca Magnata, the quote-unquote basic instinct killer. If you're interested in watching the documentary that I looked at for a lot of the information on this case, again, that is the documentary Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix. It is a three-part series. Keep in mind, it is pretty graphic, so that if that is something that you're not really interested in or you can't really stomach, I don't suggest watching it. Um, but I will post the sources that I used for this episode in the show notes. If you're interested in looking at the same sources I did, I will have the links for you guys there. Um, again, I apologize for the way between episodes. Life just kind of gets in the way sometimes. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope to see you on the next one. You can follow me on Instagram at TSRH podcast. Um, I do post a lot of information there about upcoming episodes, a lot of photos relevant to the episodes that I am currently posting. And then again, I have like coming next or like sneak peeks as to what I'm planning. If you have any sort of case suggestions, you can also email me at tsrhpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page. It's TSRH Podcast on Facebook. So if you are interested and following the podcast at any of those locations, I would be so, so happy to see you there. Anyways, I am happy to have had you here. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope to catch you on the next one. I will catch you later. Goodbye.